You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Monday the 5th of June. So much upon which to reflect over a classic weekend here in the UK and in France. The Derby went to Auguste Rodin. If you listened to Aidan O'Brien, you will have helped yourself because he wouldn't countenance defeat. And Auguste Rodin, in the hands of Ryan Moore, showed why. It was a ninth victory in the Epsom Classic for the Master of Bally Doyle, a third win in the race for Moore. The runner-up King of Steel emerged with almost equal credit given his inexperience. Later in this programme, we'll be hearing about targets for the remainder of the season for him from his trainer, Roger Varian. The previous day at Epsom, well, of course, Frankie Dettori was going to shine. Shine he did on the wonderful Emily Upjohn, who scorched the turf to win the Coronation Cup, and Soul Sister, who was given a canny Dettori ride to come from the rear off a slow pace to take the Oaks for John Gosden. Between Gosden and O'Brien, they've won the last 10 editions of that race. Talking of a man who's trained plenty of winners, more indeed than any other trainer in Europe, Jean-Claude Rouget was at it again in France. At Chantilly, in the Prix de Jockey Club, the French derby, a sparkling performance in a race that was run uh, at an unusual tempo for a French race. Big Rock carving out stern fractions, but overhauled late by Ace Impact in the hands of Christian de Muro, a horse who will make a big impact as the season progresses. Elsewhere, challenging times continue for Churchill Downs, home of the Kentucky Derby. The rest of their meet, as of Wednesday, will be moved to Ellis Park Racecourse in Henderson, Kentucky, whilst a full review of the track surface at Churchill Downs is carried out in the wake of 12 fatalities during the course of the present meeting. But at least racing at Churchill will continue at some point undetermined. It won't continue, however, in Singapore. It was announced today that Singapore racing would end as the government grabbed back the land at Cranji Racecourse. More on that from Michael Guerin later in the programme. But unusually for mid-June, we start with a British jumping story, and that concerns the very popular and long-time trainer Oliver Sherwood, trainer of the 2015 Grand National winner Many Clouds and many Cheltenham Festival winners before that. He began training in 1984, prior to which he was a very successful amateur rider. He is one of the most enduring figures in the sport, one of the most popular as well. Uh, I spoke to him earlier about what he was planning to do now, and this is what he had to say. Um, hi, Nick. Yeah, uh, listen, it's just uh, I'm going to hand my licence in probably end of July time, Um and I'm going to go and help uh, Harry Durham, who's obviously just finished his first very successful season as an assistant. And hopefully taking most of my horses of what I've got here uh, over to him. Um, and it's a combination of a whole heap of things, but dwindling numbers is the main thing. But obviously health things from 18 months ago and losing a very dear friend of mine, Richard Aston from Goldford Stud, who got diagnosed literally end of February and died three months later that hit me for six so um it's a very tough decision but in a few months time i'm sure it'll be the right decision horses have been my life so i've got to stay with horses so the only difference is it's not going to be oh sherwood trainer next door that'll be a little bit difficult to, to take but um uh, I'm going to a, a very young and hungry person. We know the family very, very well. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to, to the next chapter in one's life. 
one thing I do wanted to say, having had the sort of illness and and uh, with Richard passing and dwindling numbers, this time next year I'll be saying I'm 70 next year, so I'm, I'm 68 and a bit now, uh, and I don't want to get to 80 and. Uh, you, Training racehorses is 365 days of the year, 24 hours a day. And suddenly your life's gone by and all I've done is train racehorses, much as I've loved every single minute of it. Uh, uh, you've got to realise that life goes by very, very quickly. And our son lives out in Australia, uh, sorry, in New Zealand, and we want to go and see him. And other things I want to do before it's too late to do it. You you talked about your your late friend Richard Aston, who was a, a huge friend to so many in the in the game, a, a, a real stalwart of national hunt racing and breeding. It, it strikes me that he was the sort of person who very much characterised a, a lot of y- your owners who were very loyal to you down the years since the 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 eighties and, and and right through that right through the decades. Yeah, well, funny enough, actually, Richard and Sally. Um the first horse I ever bought at Doncaster Sales in 1983, I think it was, or 84, was a horse called Cockpit Crew by a certain sire called Rhymer, of all things. And he happened to be an older brother to Cruising Altitude, who uh, Richard and Sally bred, who I later on bought off Arthur Moore. And Sally had ridden a point-to-point winner on Cruising Altitude's Dan, Carmarthian Honey. So uh, the friendship was struck there through Arthur Moore. Uh, introduction and uh, there's still a picture of cruising winning the Bula hurdle when we go to Goldford and I, uh, going on to that we've stayed with Richard and Sally at Goldford for the for the entry meeting uh, for 30 years and after Clouds won the national how the hell Richard did it I don't know but Richard and Sally produced caterers and uh, drink and goodness knows what else to have one hell of a shindig that night so, um, as I say, whenever we're going up to Bangor or anywhere that neck of the woods, we always go and see them. And uh, when I was going to the sales, Derby sales, Goffs, Land Rover sale, even Doncaster, I, I'd always ask Sally's opinion and Rich's opinion for pedigrees and individuals. And they just became really, really close friends. Um, I know I know you will miss being a trainer, having your name on the trainer's licence. Um, I, I think a lot of people will will miss you as well uh, from from the race course on a daily basis well that's very kind of you to say so um nick i, I listen I'm, I'm not going to disappear I'm, i still as long as my boss tells me or asks me i can go racing and i still want to see uh, the likes of you guys and i'm not moving away from lambourne uh, as i say harry's only 10 minutes away so and i'm sure he'll be coming over to the lambourne gallops which are i know inside out uh, so I'm certainly not going to disappear. And I'm not one of those sort of people who I'm going to retire and sit in front of the telly and play the old game of golf with, you know, and do diddly nothing because it's not in my DNA. I, I have to be with horses and I, I've got to work. I've got to, I don't count it as work. It, it, it's a lifestyle. So I'm certainly not going to disappear off the face of the earth. I can promise you all. Yeah, many clouds clearly is going to be going to be the standout. But were there were there sort of defining staging posts through your career that will always live with you? Uh, obviously, clouds yeah stands out. It's, it's sort of everybody's dream to win a Grand National. But uh, listen, I, I was very lucky when I started training uh, in '84. Uh, then it was a lot of it was boom time, uh, and you didn't have to sell yourself. And people came to me, rang up wanting wanting to have a horse. And I was lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time to meet Christopher and Maggie Heath, who I had a double with at the festival with the West Awaken Rebel song. And then, obviously, uh, success breeds success. Everybody knows that with horses. 
And then, obviously, met Brian Stewart Brown, who was a director at Newby Racecourse, and we had a lot of fun. He was in the insurance business with likes of Large Action, Arctic Call was the first horse I got for him and his syndicate, who won a Hennessy. And so, I, I, and then, funny enough, when Harry turned up and we started talking, he saw a picture of on the wall here of Senkos. And obviously, Harry was a, was a, is a nephew of Paul Nichols, he didn't work there and everything, and he had no idea that I had Senkos. And actually got finished second in the arc when he won the big two mile chase up at Aintree before Andy Stewart moved to to Paul, which that that happens in life. And uh, yeah, as a trainer, and Andy was a very successful owner, and Paul did fantastically well for him. So, uh, you know, one's had some really good, nice horses through and owners through one's yard. And I must say, I've had a lot of really good assistants and people who work through th- through my yard. You know, the likes of Donald McCain was with me for a couple of years. Ben Case, even Tony Martin from Ireland was with me for a year. John Durkin was probably one of my greatest assistants. Uh, God bless him. He found Istabrak for um, uh, for JP. So I, I, I take that all as a huge compliment that um, they might have learned something from me anyway, as I did from Fred Winter and Arthur Moore. Now, obviously, um, Oliver, family is very important to you. And... Uh, your wife Tanya T, as she's known to everybody, um, has been a, a massive support to you through these last few years, particularly. Um, how has she taken the decision? Um, good. Uh, it, it wasn't just my; it was our decision to, together. Uh, she's been an absolute rock for the last two or three years with my illness and nursing me, etc. So um, uh, it was there was a lot of tears on on Saturday telling the staff. And she came down with a whole heap of donuts, and even a few bottles were opened afterwards, which, thank goodness, there wasn't a second lot that day. Um, she's been an absolute rock, and she's taken it very well, as has, as I said, everybody. The staff have been fantastic and have all taken it unbelievably well. Some of them probably, it wasn't a complete shock because everybody knew that we were down on numbers and I had nothing to buy at the, at the sales this year. So you just, even though I, I look back on my career as, uh, as, a, uh, as, a, as a lot of success, uh, one door closes, another door opens. You have to look forward in life, not backwards. Oliver Sherwood there. Cornelius Lysett joins me this morning. Cornelius, clearly we've got so much to reflect upon from Epsom and Chantilly over the weekend, but this is the most recent news, breaking news, that a, a, a great uh, popular figure of, of the National Hunt game has decided to, to retire. Your reflections on on what Oliver had to say there? Yeah, Oliver's been one of um, racehorse training's most successful practitioners with his ups and downs like everyone, but mainly ups as opposed to Dan's on the race course over, over one of the longest periods during the modern era, isn't it? To think that he's been uh, in action since the mid-1980s. Uh, Quite a CV. Clearly, in recent years, he's been not well, treated for cancer, but he, he came through that, had to move from his beloved Roanhurst as well. But, but he's bounced back. It's been a sort of steady-ish bounce back. But actually, this jump season so far, he's had, what, five or six winners, one of those at uh, Fakenham. However, you know, aged, you know, heading on towards 70, uh, he's called it a day. I was talking to one of his friends yesterday who wasn't completely surprised. And look, this type of link with the younger generation is is quite common now. Often it's with a family member, but not always. Often it's a joint license, but not always. And what a boost for Harry Derham. I think that's the, the other side of the story. Harry Derham clearly has a, a good pedigree in terms of uh, being a racehorse trainer, being the nephew of Paul Nichols, having worked 
for for Paul Nichols and I'm sure like Dan Skelton and uh, Harry Fry, he'll have picked up uh, plenty uh, there. Um, but um, and he started really well, 14 winners from 57 runners last season from his base in that uh, current base in that Lambourne Valley area. What a boost! A having horses like Queen's Gamble and other nice horses, and B having Oliver and Tanya Sherwood to um, to to offer counsel. Yeah. Uh, I, it has it has the it has the feeling to me of a combination uh, that is going to be it's going to be a heady cocktail. I, I'm sure in the seasons ahead. Yeah, I think Harry Dome's already proved that he's a going to be a, a brilliant trainer uh, as, as time progresses. He's he's just done a couple of things in the last season that I thought, mm, you know what you're doing. And to have, as, as he expands to sort of 70, 80, 90 horses probably, to have a wise sounding board, someone you can just kick ideas about with, I think is going to be a, a really good combination. We wish them all well. Absolutely. And and T, Tanya, has played a big part in all of that as well. Massive part in in Oliver's recovery from the cancer, a, a former successful uh, rider herself, a very much part of the training operation. That that's going to be really, really interesting. Uh, uh, there are plenty of us who, in the last few months, have looked at every Harry Darrow runner very closely to see uh, to see whether we fancy it on such and such a day. Now, with that extra element, I, I, I think he's going to become an even more uh, even more of a trainer to follow. So we need to drive on and digest the weekend. Huge weekend for so many reasons. The 244th derby did take place uh, against some of our wildest fears and the threat of of animal rising, which was pretty effectively neutralised by the jockey club, particularly with the help of an intelligence-led operation from Surrey Police. Aidan O'Brien won his ninth derby with Auguste Rodin who defeated King of Steel, who ran a mighty race in second, more of which in a few moments. First of all, though, Cornelius, your your overview of the day. I think people were nervous, weren't they? Uh, they were very nervous about what might happen. And because of the ITV coverage and the cup final on the same day, uh, massive sporting weekend, it was built up as, uh, particularly on ITV and uh, although racing had a, a derby to absolutely savour, it was a cracking derby. But I don't think you can judge the quality of a derby at this stage of the year. But in terms of a race, uh, it was uh, a really interesting race with lots of different um, segments, lots of different strands to it. So excitement about that. But then that sort of that nervous anticipation about what might happen as far as animal rising uh, was concerned. It's hard to fault um, what the jockey club, its security people and the police pulled off. It went pretty much uh, on time, uh, only a couple of minutes late, which is pretty standard for, for big races this day, uh, these days. Just um, Ben Newman uh, getting out on the track very briefly and apparently two unnamed others failing to get out on the track. I see that Ben Newman uh, has been in custody since and is due to appear before magistrates in nearby Guildford uh, today facing public nuisance charges. Jockey club officials got that court order. They spent a lot of money. They will, I imagine, be keen to to see him severely sanctioned if convicted. Uh, perhaps the fear of sanction um, has played quite a big part in the fact that uh, there weren't a lot of, uh, of animal rise. There wasn't a lot of animal rising presence, but also there was this intelligence-led uh, operation by the police to arrest to, to nip things in the bud as well. And it seems, talking of animal rising, and perhaps we shouldn't talk too much about it, 
you know, it's in a difficult position, isn't it? It doesn't have massive support anyway. Few people turned up even for the peaceful protests. It's worth noting on social media when it puts things up, most of uh, the responses to it are in the negative towards it. Um, and um, uh, then the, we had this thing that the social media postings that Ben Newman was on the track before the start of the race, so it shouldn't have uh, been allowed to go ahead. That's been demonstrated to be um, untrue. He didn't get on until after it was uh, underway. The Jockey Club has had a good weekend. Nevin Truesdale, whose calmness under fire has been really striking, uh, has uh, has talked about animal rising, hanging itself, shooting itself in the foot uh, over this weekend, which may well be the case. We will find out because um, it, animal rising has promised to cause disruption during the summer. Well, the revelation of the race, though not so much of a revelation if you'd listened to Roger Verry in the day before in an interview with Lydia Hislop, was was King of Steel, who outran massive odds of 66 to 1 to push August Rona very, very close indeed in the derby on his seasonal debut. Having missed the Dante Stakes um, because uh, of issues at, at the start, there were no such issues uh, Saturday. And I think Kevin Stott, the rider, was left ruining what might have been. Trainer Roger Varian's on the line now. Roger, with a, with a couple of days just to let the dust settle, how do you reflect on Saturday? Yeah, hi, Nick. Um, look, o- o- overall delight to Nick, to be honest, how, how the horse performed, you know, how good he looked. Um, I watched the race back a few times on Saturday evening and, you know, look, looked at the winner as well and, you know, credit to Augustine Rodin. He, he he was very good on, on top on the line. Um, no, I thought Kevin gave our horse a fine ride. I thought he, you know, he he, he had momentum in the opening and and uh, you know, bar one horse, you know, was a was a five length Derby winner. So no, I I don't think I've got too many you know com- complaints or, or regrets on the day, bar the obvious one that we didn't come home with a prize. I mean, to what extent do you think? if we'd actually managed to get the run in the Dante and I could have just tightened him with that race edge, that race fitness, wonder would have that made the difference? Yes, I mean, it would be speculative. Um, You know, you wouldn't be able to prove it. Of course, ideally, you have a prep run, you know, going into any big race, you know, certainly, you know, the the derby. So, um, yes, it might might well have, you know, given us an extra... I don't know, length, who knows. Um, but, you know, he got an away day at York and he actually had to go to Leicester on a Monday a week ago today, you know, last Monday for a stalls test. You know, he got another away day there. So, um, you know, who, who 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 knows really? He made the argument, but he didn't have a hard race, you know, so close to the derby. You know, who knows? That might have been a positive even. But um, we'll never know. Um, of course, we'd have loved to have ran him before the derby and uh, that wasn't the case and um but no we you know look we've we've got a nice horse on our hands and um you know we're happy with his condition post race so hopefully there's there's plenty you know ahead for ahead for the horse definitely i note that most ratings agencies racing post ratings time form uh rate him the best derby runner-up on the day the best derby runner-up performance since a certain kingston hill <laughs> whom you also trained um how how high do you think your horse could fly now after that i think he's got a world at his feet nick really he's you know he, he, he's so inexperienced and, and lightly raced 
he's such a big horse you know he's he's really used um, ability at home throughout the spring you never get carried away until you see it in the afternoon but you know he confirmed what we thought uh, he could be on on saturday and um i have to think carefully where where we go with him and how we campaign him you know but i hope he's a ho- horse to, to to dine at the top table you know throughout the year and hopefully he might be around um a bit longer than that but he's a he's an exciting horse you know to do what he did on his season debut um on saturday you know was um you know can only mean he's a good horse i don't think there was any fluke about it you know he, he eased into the race and um he quickened very well and he did you know everything right by, by bringing home a prize where would you like to run him next i think he's got um two two um viable options um i'd like to keep him in his own age group because he is so inexperienced um and I think we would be considering the Irish Derby or the Grand Prix de Paris, which comes two weeks afterwards. Okay. And and what would be the deciding factor, do you think? Is it a conditions thing, an opposition thing? What what what's gonna sway you ultimately? Um Well, it's too early to say really, Nick, is the honest answer. Um, they're two very viable options. One's in four weeks' time and one's in six weeks' time. So of course is of of course the horse's condition will give us some guide and his work and um and there might be a few other factors but uh you know ultimately um the horse will run you know when he's when he's ready to run again i think that he you know he did have um you know a hard race you know for his first race of a year so i think we've got to be mindful of that um and i don't know you know which which route we'll take and and you know his other other, you know, uh, other options as well, but I think they were the two races um, we discussed yesterday that would, you know, would would be the most obvious fits. All right, that was Roger Varian, trainer of the runner-up King of Steel. Uh, Cornelius, your reaction to that? Well, I'll tell you what, uh, Varian watchers will have, I think, picked up two phrases delivered in that uh, that sort of uh, calm, understated way, but um, quite strong. The world at his feet. That's quite a big phrase, I think, for for Roger and uh, a horse to dine at the top table all season. And those first two have drawn m- well clear, haven't they, of the third? If you were on any of the others, you never really thought, wow, did you? But clearly King of Steel went on and you thought, oh, my goodness. And then then um, Ryan Moore came thundering down the outside. Quite interesting to hear what Roger was saying about a Grand Prix de Paris or perhaps the Irish Derby, staying against his own age group for the time being, very understandable, and, and staying at a, a mile and a half as well. Talking to Aidan O'Brien yesterday for the racing TV show that I do on a Sunday morning, it was very interesting to me that he was saying about Auguste Rodin, whilst all the usual superlatives came out, of course, as we'd expect, and, and reiterating the point that John Magna had said to Aidan that this was the most important horse potentially that he'd ever put through the yard given his his pedigree being by deep impact a huge influence from japan aiden was saying really it's the end of the season that's going to matter for this horse he wasn't really going hard into yes he's definitely going to the irish derby or definitely doing this that and the other come back for the eclipse he wasn't even mentioning that it's the end of the season he said and the key line for me was he said november and even into december these days and i i did just wonder whether he was thinking japan cup given the horse's provenance 
whether that might be the one. Of course, he talked about the ARC as the obvious target as well, but wonder whether it would be ARC Japan Cup as the two big targets for uh, for August Rodin. Just a guess at this point. Beautifully balanced performance. Uh, as he said, Ryan Moore rode him on instinct and he came through and decisively on top in the end, but it'd be great to see a rematch between him and King of Steel before the season is out. As we press on, we must talk about Frankie Dottori and the impact that he had on Epsom over the weekend. Both Group 1s on Friday and, of course, a victory on Prosperous Voyage Saturday as well. Emily Upjohn, got to be a good place to start in the Coronation Cup, Cornelius. Those really fast conditions that bring out some fabulous performances. And that turn of uh, turn of acceleration by Emily Upjohn uh, to, to win the Coronation Cup, I don't know about you, but I had hairs on the back of my neck definitely standing up. It was it was what you love flat racing for. It was that speed, that just that that change of gear was spectacular by Emily Upjohn. The fact that Frankie Dottori was on board and then uh, won the Oaks on Soul Sister. It was somehow written in the stars, wasn't it? Uh, it was written in the stars that Dottori was going to have a big, big Epsom. Absolutely. And yesterday, again, confirming that he is still intending to bow out October the 21st here and then take his final rides at the Breeders' Cup uh, abroad. And and we'll see after that. But continued calls from an awful lot of people who I was talking to yesterday for him to, to carry on riding. But the point he made is that the fact that he feels so shackle-free and the fact that he feels uh, so liberated is probably what's you know helping him go the races in the right frame of mind. And he's very much enjoying what we believe to be this this farewell year. Um, soul sister, you'd think an Irish Oaks would be on the agenda for her. Emily Upjohn, it's really about taking on all these good older horses now, like Desert Crown, like Hookham, like Luxembourg, like Bay Bridge, like one or two of those in France. We're hoping that Vidani might bounce back. He's been disappointing so far this season, but we're setting up now. You feel the season has really broken open with Royal Ascot not too far away at all. Let's just take stock of some of the key numbers, Cornelius. Uh, whirlpool takings down, a crowd down at, at Epsom as well. Yeah, over the two days, uh, atmosphere-wise, I thought Friday was fabulous. Saturday, uh, which uh, on which there were more people, perhaps there was a little bit of nervousness in the air as well, didn't have quite the same buzz, I felt. Uh, the, the downs on the Friday were, were very quiet. There was a time not many years ago where you could barely see a blade of grass on the um, Friday as well as the Saturday. Well, the Friday was pretty quiet and Saturday was fairly quiet. I think I counted six or seven buses once upon a time. There were, you know, considerably more than that, weren't there? Numbers for, for Derby Day, I think, well down. Um, they're talking around sort of 20,000 compared to high 30s. Um, the um, In terms of the world pool, the amount of money um, for, the, for the Derby was quite well down. On the day, wasn't down quite so much. The timing sort of the timings turned out not to, to be the big plus everyone thought. They thought it would work well having a 130 derby in the UK because that would be a good time around the world. But then the races around it didn't have that many runners. So circumstances didn't really help. And I, but I didn't think the numbers were quite, you know, I think the, the, the total was down to something like 12 percent, which wasn't great, but not the end of the world. But yet again, something to just keep an eye on. But all in all, I think we reflect on the. The, the two days that it went ahead relatively uninterrupted and we had some great results. A lot of people went and thoroughly enjoyed themselves. 
the, the, the one thing for the future, and it was something I saw you talking to Nevin Truesdale from the Jockey Club about over the weekend, you know, are they going to have to spend £150,000 or whatever it was on legal stuff and security ahead of all big races? So that is something that everyone's going to have to gulp a bit about and work out how it's going to be um, paid for on these occasions. So as we've hinted at, it was a pretty unusual atmosphere before the derby. Excitement, yes, but deep apprehension as well. And as we've said, a protester did get onto the track. Sam Cunningham, who's been working with us here on the Nick Luck Daily Podcast since she graduated from the Racing Media Academy, was out and about in the crowd before the derby on Saturday and was trying to gauge the atmosphere and the reaction to a, a possible threat of protest. The Sun and racing fans have turned out in force today for the 2023 Betfred Derby, showing that support and excitement for the event are at an all-time high. Uh, last year we came for the Friday round the Saturday. This year it's just the it's just the Saturday today, but no, great. This is good. This is good. And how do you compare the atmosphere from last year to this year? It seems to be a better atmosphere this year. I think with COVID now being out the way, I think it's been great, absolutely great so far today. Has the animal rising presence been a concern at all for you attending today? No, no. We saw them when we came in on the coach, but no, not at all. And what do you make of their presence here today? I understand a little bit of what they're doing, but I think there's better ways to do it. And how do you think their presence will affect the future of the industry? I don't think it will. I don't think it will at all. Have you been to the Derby before? I've not. I've never been to that before. I did Cheltenham this year. We did the Ark last year, a couple of us. But I've not been to the Derby before, so this is my first time. And what do you make of the Derby today? It's been great so far. Obviously, it's a bit weird with the Derby being the second race of the day. It'd be nice for a little bit of atmosphere to build up. But even still, it'll be good. We're looking forward to it. I think we're all on Sir Michael Stout's passenger. Yeah, yeah. So we're all looking forward to it. Yeah. And has the animal rising presence here today affected your decision to come at all? Not in the bloody slightest. No, not at all. And all of us, albeit we are conscious of the animal rising and what they stand for, does affect sort of, for us and why we come and enjoying a good day out. So. Um, everybody has the views on racing. I've been in racing since I was 16. I'm now 59 and there's nothing to hide. They've had the options to go and look in the stables and see how the horses are treated, what the welfare is like, and I can guarantee you now it's a five-star treatment. I think if they listened and came forward with the options they were given to when they were invited to come into yards, they'd look more into it and see how it was run, and they'd probably take a different opinion. I think a lot of them are sheep and they're just following. Is this your first derby that you're attending here today? No, I've been to many derbies. How many have you been to? Uh, probably attended five or six. And which would you say was your most memorable? From a personal perspective, probably Rule of the World, because I backed it. But um, yeah, that would be my most memorable occasion coming here. That was ten years ago. Okay. And who are you backing here today? I'm backing Ryan Moore again, so Augustine rode into that. Good luck on that, friend. Thank you. And what do you make of the atmosphere here today, Epsom? It's always a great atmosphere. It's, you know, it's the pinnacle of the flat season, so yeah, it's always a great, great day out. Yeah. And what do you make of the animal rising presence here today? Yes! I'll let you know in 35 minutes, but um, it's definitely a big concern. Epsom's uh, uh, a huge, a huge area to try and police, so the. The fact they're trying to disrupt the biggest flat race of the year is uh, is a massive concern for racing and for the sport. So yeah, uh, let's hope it goes off on time and no problems. But I'm definitely concerned. Yeah, go off on time. It did. Sam Cunningham there with a flavour of what racegoers were experiencing and feeling in the few moments leading up to the running of the 244th 
Derby. Yesterday, no such incident at Chantilly, uh, where Ace Impact made, no pun intended, a deep impact in the British Jockey Club. Ace Impact, in fact, by Cracksman. Uh, see a, a, a notable breakthrough for him as a stallion, but a, a really notable performance as well. But entering the closing stages, you thought the Big Rock was going to win this for and another big success for Christopher Head um, because the, the horse was clear, looked to all the world as though uh, he was probably going to gallop to success. And still with 400 metres, maybe a tiny bit more to go, uh, Ace Impact, uh, trained by Jean-Claude Rouget, trying to win the race uh, for the sixth time, second year running, uh, looked to be up against it. But Demuro got this fantastic uh, acceleration down the outside to not just come and grab Big Rock in the closing stages, but to grab Big Rock in the closing stages and go comfortably clear by three and a half lengths. Uh, that was some performance, uh, one felt, in a in a record time. Uh, it was one of the best performances since the Jockey Club has, uh, well, possibly even the best since the Jockey Club has been reduced to a mile and a quarter. This son of Cracksman, this grandson of Frankel, this great-grandson of Galileo, Ace Impact is going to be making some impact in the in the weeks and months ahead. I'm absolutely uh, certain of that. Well, the running of the biggest handicap on Epsom's Derby card, the dash, five furlongs down the hill, running about 54 seconds. Great spectacle. It was tainted, really. It was soured by the fact that one horse anticipating the gate meant that four of the gates, one to its outside, three to the inside, failed to open at exactly the same time as the remainder of them. So those horses had a, a fractional disadvantage. But you're talking about a race of very, very fine margins. And amongst those horses were were really fancied horses as well, including the favourite Live in the Moment, who was beaten six and a half lengths. But the stall opening late, according to the Racing Post close-up, meant a slightly awkward start as well. And Kieran O'Neill lost his iron. So it was all a a chapter of disasters, really. Live in the moments owned by uh, Steve Delemos, who who joins me now. Steve, as a as an owner on Derby Day, someone who doesn't live too far away from Epsom, it's it's a, a very big moment for you, and the moment was gone in a fraction of a second. Yeah, hi Nick. Um, yeah, very much so. It's 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 our. I don't know. It, it, it was the it's the big race of the year for us. I know we came second at Newmarket in a group race, third at Haydock in a group race, but. I, you know, if we'd won one of them, I would have swapped it to win the dash. Um, that's how big a race it is. And we, we'll come back another year and we'll have another crack. But Saturday didn't work out for us. Um, it's a real shame. And if the gates don't operate correctly in the fastest race in the world, um, track position is key. Um, and I suppose, you know, they're, they're doing 10 second furlongs. If you divide that up for just 22 yards a second, you know, it's huge. And we lost track position and, and it, the race was gone within, within a matter of seconds. It seems to me, from looking at the rules, that the only provisions here were for the BHA stewards to either void the race entirely, in which case an absolute storm would have ensued, or... Um, it's tough luck, really. There isn't that medium provision to to declare your horse uh, a non-runner for betting purposes, like there would be in in other jurisdictions. Do you think that's something you would look to change? Yeah, I think there's something. It, 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 they've definitely got to change. Um, you know, it, it for I think um, uh, they worked it out. Forty six percent of the betting market was affected 
by those four stores not opening. And it's not fair on all the punters who've put their hard-earned cash um, on on our four horses. And um, it doesn't matter if it's our four, but it's in another race, in the King's Stand, in the Nunthorpe, in something else. If they, if they don't have a fair chance, then isn't that what betting's all about? They've got it wrong. Yeah, well, indeed so. I mean, in terms of in terms of your own horse, um, are you are you going to take it any any further than this? Can you take it any further than this? Um, I I don't know what more we can do. Really, we'll probably have a chat with um, the BHA, uh, uh, the Jockey Club. I think own the course there. Um, it'd be nice if they turned around and said, do you know what? The four horses are affected. What we'll do, we'll, we won't charge you your entry fee. We'll pay uh, the trainers' costs and travelling and everything for for your day. And I think that's the least they could do. But it won't happen, will it? Yeah, Steve DeLamos, understandably um, a, a bit peeved about what happened at the beginning of the dash. It, it seems to me, as, as I said to Steve there, Cornelius, that the the BHA stewards on the day, the way the rules are written, don't have that many options. You can either void the whole race or you kind of have to let it stand. Um, Absolutely. I, I do wonder whether there's room for a, a bit more nuance there, whether if there is a materially um, unfair start that you can do as other jurisdictions do and say, right, horses X, Y, Z and A are non-runners. That, there's no provision for that in the rules at the moment. That's the crucial thing, uh, isn't it? That, that I think the the statement that uh, or the words in the statement that really got to people not materially impacted uh, those horses in those four stalls and then they they finished fourteenth, fifteenth, seventeenth, and twentieth. Um, you know, it, it's difficult to to imagine they weren't at all impacted by what happens. Uh, they could have called a full start. They had the power to do that. But uh, would that how how fair would that have been? I, well, I, I think everyone. They, they, there's no way. There's no way the starter could have seen that as a full start was there. Not unless not from his vantage point. No, no. So 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 that was one possibility. Voiding it was another possibility. I I just think that you know everyone who's been talking about this situation says it's it's very regrettable and you, you know the, the we've just heard that there. David Evans quoted the trainer of Lahu quoted in the in the trade newspaper, the Racing Post, uh, saying that he's he's annoyed as well. No one actually calling for, no one calling for heads to roll because I think no one actually knows what the answer is. But what what needs to be, you know, as with the with any rules, you need to be able to cover all scenarios. And at the moment, that particular part of the scenario is uh, is not uh, exactly. directly covered. But 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 I hope. But I hope. And in fact, I don't hope. I know. That the British Horse Racing Authority and its wash up of Epsom will will investigate and will it'll be probably top of the agenda because when things mainly went well, this didn't go particularly well, but in testing it went fine. So everyone must look and see whether there's anything that could have been done about it. But there's a chance it was just a sort of the whole thing was tra- triggered by an act of God, really, wasn't it? Well, this morning, as I'm recording, multiple reports are coming out of Singapore that the racing in the country is set to to stop, is to cease uh, as soon as as October 2024. Um, As I'm talking to you now, I I believe that owners, trainers, 
uh, other employees are, are being informed by the Singapore Turf Club at a meeting at Cranji that uh, the racing is going to end. Uh, for more on this, Michael Guerin, our, our Australasian um, sports journalist and broadcaster, racing editor of the New Zealand Herald, joins us for uh, for more. Um, Michael, w- why do you understand this is happening? Well, Nick, uh, good morning to you and to your listeners. Yeah, the Singapore government um, basically wants the land back. So Singapore's obviously a very small place, and there's a racetrack in the middle of Singapore, which they think they can do better things with. Um, so they've been told today after what was rumoured to be a closure of racing in Singapore last week. The rumour was everywhere at the sales. It was going to be 2026. Trainers today were called in and told that racing will shut there after 180 years in October 2024. And that's obviously just around the corner. Trainers have gone to sales in New Zealand and Australia, Nick, purchased horses who now will never be able to race in the island nation. So the speed of the change, enormous. Uh, There have been enormous challenges to Singapore racing over the last 10 years. They lost their international racing. It was once a place where top jockeys would go to ride. Joe Marrera obviously made his name there. All of a sudden, those days seem a long long time ago the international races losing was one big deal there are challenges for the other asian precincts outside of hong kong with the offshore betting being so dominated by websites or betting agencies which aren't legal and therefore aren't recontributing money to singapore but the news itself being confirmed plus the speed of the news, and we believe the official statement from the Singapore Turf Club and the Singaporean government will come out at 6pm their time tonight. But that speed of change, Nick, that horses which are now in work in Singapore um, basically won't never get to race there. Some of the young horses will totally stun the Asian industry. Some moves are in play to have an extension to that time, but even that is only keeping alive a patient who is now gravely ill and nearly fatal. Sad news out of Singapore this morning. Cornelius, as we anticipated uh, before the weekend, the uh, chief executive of the Professional Jockeys Association, Ian McMahon, has gone. He's gone over the weekend at an extraordinary general meeting. Uh, Nick Attenborough, who seems poised to take over as chair, of the PJA uh, has expressed his view of what an incoming chief executive should sound like. What's he said? Yeah, it, it's quite a it's quite a striking quote actually in the Racing Post. In my experience, he says, and I would hope this is a generally held view. What you really need is someone who is used to the sport and can speak the language. You can be quicker to get a consensus if you know the background and have that specialist knowledge. Are a fan and have worked within a within uh, a sport already. Now, I think this shows how how racing is sometimes sort of divided because, you know, my natural inclination when people say, oh, X, Y, Z is coming into such and such a race course and they know nothing about racing, you know, but but they hopefully know something about marketing. And I, I, I think we should be careful uh, to to be too prescriptive about this. Um, I, and I, I don't think there's any real suggestion that Ian McMahon didn't do some extremely good work and some of the other people who've gone did some very good work. So I, I'd, I'd be a little bit cautious about too, being too prescriptive. It's it's better to have expertise 
with uh, an ability to get the knowledge of the sport than to just say, I want someone from the sport, um, you know, slightly regardless of their expertise. So I'd be just a bit cautious that you say, I just want somebody from racing. I think they must look at a, at the at the field as a whole and get the best possible people in because the professional jockeys association uh, need it and the the jockeys their members deserve it. All right, I want you from racing now to give me a tip for today. This rather quiet, sleepy after the Lord Mayor show Monday afternoon. Can I take you to Thursk, lovely Thursk racecourse in North Yorkshire, aka Darby from the James Herriot novels? It was on Thursk that uh, that fictional town was based. And indeed, James Herriot, or the real James Herriot, was called Alf White. He was a vet at Thursk Races. And I am going to take you to the 3.30 race. And uh, the tip is called Diamond Hope. Won the race last year, um, is is weighted in much the same place. And, and this is the crucial part of the whole thing, as well as liking Diamond Hope, I'm really liking the jockey at the moment. And uh, this is um, uh, Connor Beasley. Uh, rode a winner at Epsom, had a couple of fa- fabulous near misses with Majestic and Carnarvon as well uh, at Epsom, riding really well during the core part of the uh, season. Uh, he's in a prominent position in the um, Jockeys' Championship. William Buick and Oshin Murphy are the top two, but there are a whole lot of them just behind. He's had a really good year already. Teams up well with Michael Dodds, the trainer of uh, Diamond uh, Hayes, and that Diamond Hayes is the tip for the 3.30 at first today. If I just called it Diamond Hope by mistake, I did mean Diamond Hayes, Hayes, H-A-Z-E, Diamond Hayes, 3.30 at first. Cornelius, thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Monday, June the 5th, back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and thoroughbred racing commentary. Mm-hmm.